We open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 8. We're going to study verses 30. We're going to pick up at 30 and go through 59 in chapter 8. Last week we, we saw Jesus identify himself as the light of the world. And what a promise he gives, whoever will follow him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the text closed telling us that some of those who heard his words believed him. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. But Jesus responds to their belief in an interesting way. He, he doesn't really respond to this, this uh, he doesn't respond to their believing the way I think I did as a dad when my kids were younger. I think the way sometimes churches respond when somebody comes forward or prays a prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus. Jesus handles it a little differently than what we do. And I think we need to be alert to that and follow his model of responding to what seems to be uh, faith coming from uh, his people. So they're gonna talk to us. He's gonna talk to us this morning uh, not just about believing in him, but what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a true disciple of him. And he's going to attach to that the promise that there is the blessing of freedom for those who are truly his disciples. Freedom. So as we pay attention to that, wouldn't you think freedom would be something that would, golly, just we'd all agree about it and celebrate it and, well, a fight breaks out. And see if you see what I mean as we read the text today. And the fight was so serious that they wanted to kill Jesus about his desire to set them free. Wow. So John chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 30. As he was saying these things, Many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you will become free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. 
And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear me then is that you are not of God. Well, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to them, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Well, Lord, I hope that we'll respond way better <laughs> than what we've just experienced in the text. Um, Lord, we are people who admit that we need the freedom you offer would you teach us more about that freedom this morning? Would you teach us more about how you magnify and manifest and give that freedom? And would you teach us more about how you send us out into the world with the message of that freedom to set the captives free? Please, Lord, we don't want to stay the same. God. And the other thing is, 
Would you open our eyes to maybe what are some blind spots in our own lives where we are believing lies of the devil and seeking freedom in thoughts or activities that are separate from Jesus? Please, Lord, sin is so deceitful. And, and we can, we're so prone to wander. Please open our eyes. Let us see Jesus afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, you guys, I really need prayer this morning. I, I was so taken by this passage, and I'm so convicted by it. Um, really showed me just how many areas that uh, I tend to gravitate toward believing lies and, and how there are so many pockets of my heart that are captive to sin. Um, thank God he sets us free, right? There, it's not my lifestyle. Jesus set me free from that, changed my identity. But I want to be free indeed, don't you? Well, how many of us love the theme of freedom? Isn't it a great? It's a great theme, isn't it? It's just freedom. I mean, don't you just feel like it needs to be shouted? Freedom. How many of us love the blessings that come from freedom? Well, raise my hand. I love the blessings of freedom. Okay. How many of us have ever tried to talk with someone about freedom, thinking that we might find fellowship with them? And end up fighting about freedom instead of fellowshipping over freedom. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever told a teenager that they are spending too much time on their phone? Or on social media? Or in playing video games? You might not have mentioned the word freedom, but you're essentially pointing out that they become a slave to their devices. How did that work out for you? <laughs> oh my goodness. Don't those precious teenagers know that you're just wanting to set them free. But they see freedom as being able to scroll as much as they want and be on their phone as long as they want or play their video games as much as they want. That's freedom. Hmm. Wow, okay. Well, have you ever had to express concern to a Christian friend about becoming romantically involved with an unbeliever? Or with someone maybe who they were just involved with, and that person was using, manipulating, maybe even abusing them. You were wanting them to be free from the heartache and consequences of what they were doing, and free to follow God's better plan for their lives but they protested. They backed away from you. They, they didn't accept what you were talking about as love. No, they, they think freedom is being able to be in a relationship with whoever they want because it feels so good. It feels so good. Surely God would not give me an experience that feels so good and want to take it away from me. A wife tries to tell her husband that she wishes he would free up his schedule to spend more time at home with her and the kids. But that creates tension between them because 
quite frankly, he feels more free when he's away from home rather than when he's loving his wife and discipling his children. Maybe you've had the experience of intervening in the life of a friend or a family member who's destroying their life through alcohol or drug abuse. And it only creates more tension when they say they're free to drink socially as long as they don't hurt anyone else. Maybe you've talked to someone who saw their biological sex and their gender as two separate things and only experienced them pulling away from you because they felt most free by following their feelings about their gender regardless of their biology. They were guided by feelings about who they identified themselves as because that's where they found freedom. Or that's what they thought. How about when you tell someone that there's only one way to find salvation? And a strong disagreement arises about how narrow-minded you are because, of course, there are many pathways to heaven. Man, doesn't it seem that one person's idea of freedom is another person's idea of bondage? Is there a way to determine what true freedom is? and what true bondage is? I would say yes. I think you would say yes. How about the truth? Right? What do you think? Okay, we're getting somewhere. Haven't we heard somewhere that the truth will set you free? Okay. Well, you think the topic of freedom can lead to fighting? Oh, baby, it's a whole nother thing to talk about truth. After all, you have your truth and I have my truth, right? Unless there's something called the truth, which of course there couldn't be any sense of a universal truth. Well, the good news is that there is something even better, someone called the truth. And if you follow him, he will truly set you free. Our main point this morning is this, true freedom is a gift of God's grace for those who know Christ and who abide in the truth of his word. Let's look at the first point. It's from verses 30 through 36. The promise of freedom for people who know Christ and abide in his word. So verse 30, we saw that there are people believing Uh, But we've seen in John again and again that believing is not always saving faith because Jesus knows people's hearts and he knows what is truly saving faith and and what is just acknowledgement of facts, maybe an emotional experience that was good. Um, He knows the difference. And so verse 31 He clarifies who a true believer is. Such good discipling, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus is such a good disciple maker. He clarifies who a true believer is. And now he uses a synonym. He doesn't use believer. He uses the word disciple. Do you use those words as synonyms? Or do you see that there's a believer, but then somehow a believer graduates (laughs) into being a disciple? If, If that's what you believe, can you kind of throw that away? There's not to be any difference between being a believer and being a disciple. 
And then he makes it very clear who a true disciple is. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Okay, let's dig deeper. Abide in my word. means to hold on to. To have Christ and his word at the center of all you believe and all that you do. Not a life of perfection, but the gravitational pull of Christ and his gospel just always seems to pull you back from drifting. Always seems to be your north star for guidance. Determines how you love and, 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 and what motivates your love for the glory of God. That you're at home in knowing God. That, you're feeling more at home in the Lord than you used to feel in the world. That's a good feeling, isn't it? But it's a strange feeling sometimes because sometimes it, you, it, that can be kind of a lonely experience. And, and it just seems like maybe there's more fellowship. You've lost friends over this because you feel more at home in Christ than you do in the world. But you're abiding in his word. The word choices here don't point to a one-time decision that doesn't have any lasting fruit or change. It speaks of abiding in Christ and his word for a lifetime. Now, there are ebbs and flows to sanctification, right? There just are. It's just part of growing in grace. If you were to chart your sanctification, let's make sure that we understand how biblical sanctification looks. If we were to chart it, I'd, I wish it was this. I wish it was, I'd start right here. So here's the graph. I'd start right here, and it would be a straight line to heaven. <laughs> just, anybody with that kind of graph? Because if, if you are, come, you need to come preach. Because uh, it's more like the stock market, isn't it? It's, it's by God's grace. Yes, it goes up. But that oof. That oof. <laughs> and you know those oofs. Where instead of wanting to lead your wife in sacrificial love, you had to win the argument. You had to have the last word. You were growing and then, poof, oof. But there, thank God for the grace of repentance and confession of sin and power to, to not have to go that way again. And God takes us. And I love the way Paul Tripp, I think it was Paul Tripp, could have been Ed Welch, but they said that, in sanctification, a Christian may still dip down into some valleys of sin, but those valleys are at higher elevations than they were when you were an unbeliever. Isn't that helpful? So it's still sin, but it's not sin because you're lost. It's sin because there's a war between the flesh and the spirit, and God is working his grace in your life. This is teaching us something about grace. This is, this is teaching us that the grace that saves us is the grace that will transform us and it will great, it'll be the grace that sees us all the way home to see him face to face. That's grace. That's why we love the two words, sovereign grace, because God in, God in his mercy saves us. He initiates that salvation. He opens our eyes. He melts our hearts. He regenerates us. And the grace that started our salvation, we believe, what does the scripture say? The good work he began to do, you finish it for me. He will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. So that's what he's saying here. That, that abiding in his word means this is going to be a lifetime. 
If someone prays a prayer of repentance or faith, and they said, I just prayed for Jesus to save me, we would recommend you're not saying, that's great, you are saved. I think that happens a lot in the Bible Belt. I think it happens a lot in West Texas, to where if you ask somebody if they were saved, they wouldn't point to the faith they have today. They would point to the experience they had 15 years ago. And if you ask them about what's happening today, Jesus would not be anywhere near their heart. There wouldn't be any love or tenderness for his word. There wouldn't be any passion to reach the lost. It's they're basing it all on an experience. And that's, that's why we would say, don't, don't give somebody your assurance that they're saved. <laughs> that's, and especially, it it's really finds itself a lot in parenting, doesn't it? I mean, don't we want our kids to be saved? I, I will never forget. Never forget. I mean, all three of the boys' salvations were so unique. Will got saved in VBS. Um, and uh, Josh got saved because Josh comes out and tells me, Dad, Will told me I'm going to burn in hell unless I get saved. You know, so we had an, just an amazing kind of a talk about that. And I'll never forget Micah coming out. And uh, I don't know how old he was, seven or eight years old. And he comes out one, one morning or one night. It's past bedtime. We'd already put the kids to bed. And uh, Micah comes out. And you know, <laughs> as parents... I just, I just was so prone to just, oh, here he comes. Yeah, no, you had water. No, you know, all those things, right? But now I'm thinking, oh, now he, oh he's going to play the spiritual card, right? He comes out and he says, Dad, I need to be saved. Well, thankfully, God grabbed my heart and he's just looking up. So I pick him up. I put him on the kitchen counter so we could look eye to eye. And I said, Micah, what do you need to be saved from? Oh, my goodness. He just unpacked that he was dead in sin. And he deserved to be punished for that sin. But that he believed Jesus died in his place to save him from that sin. And then he, a tear starts running down his face. Some of you who knew Micah when he was little. Micah had this big, giant head. Mike, I literally, his, his body grew into his head, or his head, I don't know how you say that, but it was the cutest, he was the cutest curly-headed kid, and he just cries the tear. And I, I tried not to just say, oh, now you're saved. I just remember saying, let's look through the scriptures now so to find out what God's word says about salvation. Because he wants you to have assurance, but he doesn't want you to have assurance because your dad is telling you about it. He wants you to have assurance because God's word is telling you about it. Well, that's what's going on here. Is Jesus is saying that there's this saving grace is a grace that gives us a desire to abide in his word. And that abiding is for a lifetime. So in this part, you could really say Jesus reveals who he really is through the word and we reveal who we really are by our response to the word. So can you take that test today? Jesus reveals who he really is. Son of God, Messiah, only path of salvation, the only savior of sinners. That's what he says in his word. They're having a party next door, aren't they? 
you're making it more difficult. They must be getting excited about freedom or something in there. I don't know what it is. I, I, that, that blesses me. But let's try to stay, stay focused. Um, we reveal who we are by our response to God's word. How are you responding to God's word? Apathetic? Uninterested? Convicted? Being humbled? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Let's keep going. Jesus takes this one step further by promising freedom for those who know the truth and those who abide in his word, which essentially is telling the people listening to him, you are not free. Those are fighting words. And here we go. Verse 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Whose truth, your truth or my truth? There can't be one universal truth, can there be? I googled. (laughs) I just put in speak your truth into Google. I almost wish I wouldn't have done it. Um, Because, boy, truth and freedom... I mean, that, Jesus gets quoted a lot. <laughs> it's, just not, it's just not in context. The truth sets you free gets quoted a lot, but it's just not in context. It tends to be uh, what each person's own pursuit of, of, of finding themselves is. It's, it's a pursuit of self-discovery. And the end of you finding yourself is freedom. That's, that's essentially what people are thinking. And, and when they say, it's, it's, well, it's not my truth. This is my truth. For example, if you're the author of your truth, then of course you're going to think that it's going to lead to experiencing freedom. But if your idea of truth is not God's idea of truth, then what you thought was freedom is only going to prove to be bondage. The truth that sets us free is the truth about God being a holy and righteous creator. That's a truth that will set you free. The truth that sets us free recognizes that we have not lived the life he has commanded us to live. And that we are at our core sinners who deserve a righteous judgment for our law breaking. The truth that sets us free recognizes that Jesus is the one and only Savior of sinners. And that through faith in him and his finished work of dying for our sins on the cross, we can and will be saved. The truth that sets us free recognizes that a decision needs to be made as to whether I will follow Jesus as Lord and Savior or not. That's the truth that sets you free. Knowing this truth will set you free from the penalty of sin. Amen? Isn't that good news? Knowing this truth will set you free from the power of sin. That's good news. Because isn't it nice to know that though I may still have some sin habits, God has given strength and power to his people to not have to be the slave of those sins. That's good news. And isn't this good news? We sang a little bit about it this morning. That one day, he will set us free from even the presence of sin. A lot of reasons I want to be in heaven. First and foremost, to see his face. I'm just so sick of sinning against him. And I long for that day. 
when even the presence of sin will not even be an issue anymore so that we could worship him fully and freely. It sets us free to live our life according to God's divine design for it. It sets us free from guilt and shame and condemnation and able to live life with a clean and clear conscience. Is your conscience clear today? Oh, the Lord wants to set you free through the work of Jesus. What do we need to be set free from? Well, the slavery of sin. Many people think following Christ is actually losing freedom. I'll never forget talking to a, a, a distant family member and they, they were offering that it, it was a scenario where everybody in this family gathering were just getting snockered. Is that a word? <laughs> but it sounds like what I'm referring, kind of snockered, you know, just kind of sounds like uh, what they were doing. Um, oh my goodness. And I'll never forget, um, they offered me a beer and I, in that, I get that context, I, I just said, no, thank you. And this family member looked like, like somebody just died. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. That's right. You can't drink, can you? And I told her, you know what? It's not that I can't drink. It's that I don't want to. And I just told her, it's because, you know, Jesus has done something in my life that has given me a satisfaction that the life I used to have as a drinker can't touch. She didn't stick around to talk to me anymore after that. Um, I was hoping I could say, and she fell down on her face and repented of her sin and called out to God. Not, not at that point. Maybe, maybe that happen someday. Well, let's, let's, let's just so that we can really be careful of our own hearts, because you guys, I'm concerned that our responses to this freedom battle and truth battle are very unlike Jesus. And I'll, I'll point to me. I honestly hate it when I hear, well, what's your truth? See, I, even, I shouldn't have even made the face. Even making the face betrays my heart. So young people, I just gave you an example of what I don't, I don't want to be that way. We all have that DNA in us. And let me tell you why I say that. We need to get the log out of our own eye in, in that way and have compassion when you hear somebody say, well, that's your truth. It's not my truth. That should move our hearts with compassion, not criticism, not self-righteousness, not somehow we're... <laughs> We're better than you. The corruption of freedom and destruction of freedom, you know, started in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were free when they were living in accordance with what God had commanded them. That's, that's freedom. That's an example for us. Walk with God. Enjoy his presence. Eat and enjoy every fruit and food in the garden. Just not the one. There's really just one commandment. Can you handle that? One commandment, don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Living for God's glory by trusting and obeying him is your freedom. Satan comes along, an alternate authority, right? There's always this alternate authority who sneaks in. 
And he presents the lie that true freedom is actually disobeying God. Wow. We get sucker punched with that all the time. That somehow I'm going to find freedom disobeying God. To our young people, you know, one of, the, one of God's commands, honor your mother and father. And that you're constantly being pounded with this lie. Now that's not freedom. That's bondage. I'll be more free if I dishonor mother and father. That's just an example. This is where this, this thing came from. We don't need someone to tell us what's right and wrong. Why? We've eaten from the tree. We. See, this is where your truth comes in, isn't it? Can you see how that whole my truth, your truth came in? We've eaten from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, so that now we don't need God to help us decide what's right and wrong. We will decide what's right and wrong. And there was the birth of the your truth movement. Right there in Genesis chapter 3. That's where the your truth, my truth movement came from. And that's why I said, weren't we all out of that lineage? Oh, you guys, we have got to respond better to, to a world that is enslaved to the same sin that we were enslaved to. And we didn't somehow get spiritually smart and somehow save ourselves and pull ourselves up by our West Texas salvation bootstraps. That's not how it worked. Undeservedly, our eyes were opened. Mercifully, our hearts were melted. And that's got to be what sends us into the mission field. That's got to inform our parenting. That's got to inform our ideas of social justice. And we'll get into all that in just a minute. We can determine what is truth and what is a lie. So let's be careful to respond with gospel compassion to these people who are in the same snare of the devil that we were in. Satan's lie is that self-rule is freedom. Satan's lie is that freedom is having, is having no master, no Lord but yourself. That being ruled by God is bondage. Satan's lie is freedom to do what you want to do. That's Satan's lie. God says freedom is doing what you were meant to do. And, and guess what? As you're doing what you were meant to do, haven't you found that you really enjoy it? <laughs> because, because you're living for what you were meant to do. Stupid. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say stupid. I'm sorry, moms and dads. A, a minor example. I was a baseball player. I've told you that before. And I was a third baseman. And I felt so at home at third base. But now and then... We'd have an issue with the shortstop. Either he had to pitch or something. And I'd have to play shortstop. I loved baseball as long as I was playing third base. When I played shortstop, I hated every inning. I hated every pitch. It's a way different position. Third base, you can be pretty dumb. Third base, that's why I was good at it. Third base, you can just, if, just react to the ball and be a human backstop. So it's just, just, I don't have to be a fielder. I'll just let the ball hit me in the face. And then I can pick the ball up and throw him out. You know, so that's, so there, was, there wasn't a lot of skill in my play. 
But shortstop, you had to watch the hops that were coming. You had to play the hops. You had to charge the ball in a way that a lot of times third base doesn't have to do. And I hated it. It just, there was too much time to think. Any of you guys who are ball players, you know, you know what I'm talking. Come on, give me some sympathy here, any ball players. You know, it's, it's like, I, I, it was great at third base because it was just react, you know. So, but at shortstop, I, you had to, oh, here, hmm. Uh, in a, it has a big hop, but I don't, can I get there to short hop it? I don't, too much time to think. And so often I was doing this. <laughs> because the ball just went right through my legs. Um, there was joy in playing where I felt I was meant to play. And there's joy in living for the, the reason God made you. There's great joy in that. There's just great joy in that. The person who's free in Christ, how about this for a way of saying it? The person who's free in Christ loves having God tell him what to do. There's a way to say it, huh? Do you just love having God tell you what to do? That is almost a thought that's anathema to our culture. Oh, you're living because you're listening. Somebody else is telling you what to do. Yeah, he's God. He loves me. He died for my sins. He's my friend. He's my counselor. He's my comforter. He's the only wise God. Yes, I love to do. I love for him to tell me what to do. Sad part is I don't always do it. Satan's lie is that freedom is independence from God. God's truth is that dependence upon God is freedom. Satan's lie is that you don't need a Lord over you to have freedom. God's truth is that everyone has a Lord over them. Everyone does. Freedom is serving the right Lord. And we bring in the great theologian Bob Dylan. And so, and let me just, again, this is just an age thing. How many of you never heard of Bob Dylan before? It's okay. Raise your hands because my, my sons will just love this. That once again, dad, you're so behind the times. <laughs> Bob Dylan wrote a song and it's, a, it's an interesting song. You got to go look at the lyrics. But essentially the song was, everyone's going to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord but you're going to serve somebody. You better serve the right somebody if you want to have freedom. The way Jesus is defining freedom doesn't sit well with those who are listening. When people think they're free and they're told they're not, they're they're not free, that's where the fight happens. So they respond, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Uh, uh, Hello? Most of your history, you were in bondage. It's amazing, guys, how blinding sin is. It's amazing. Jesus, don't you know who we are? We're the people God set free from the bondage of Egypt. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. They think slavery is only something external and political. Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about a worse slavery. He's talking about slavery to sin, which, which by its very nature is blinding. And even politically, they were, they were at that moment enslaved to Rome. They believed their ethnic and religious ties to Abraham were their keys to freedom, not their connection to Jesus. 
Truly I say to you, Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Notice he uses the word practice. He even commits in this ongoing sense, lifestyle, unending. That's the life of an unbeliever. Whatever you live for becomes your Lord. I don't know how else to say it. Whatever you, you live for, at least functionally, your, your confession may be Jesus is Lord, but those areas of your life, life where you live for people's approval, you live to win the argument with your spouse, you live for your kids, not, not to just obey you, they have to adore you and worship you. You live for the approval of people at work. You live for a compliment. You live for the love of money. You live for what you have or to not lose what you have. And whatever you functionally live for is Lord over you. The problem with being slaves to sin is that we're sinful by nature. It's not just sins as, act, as individual actions. Sinfulness is part of our identity apart from Christ. We, we are not good people who occasionally sin. We're sinfully depraved people who out of that identity constantly sin. For a believer, we're set free from the power of sin, but we can still choose to believe lies and submit ourselves to sin and become its captives. Sin is enslaving by its nature, and that's why we need a Savior. Being a religious person doesn't set you free from sin. Jesus sets you free from sin. It's crazy. We, we pursue sin, and we think there's going to be some freedom from worry. Pursuing sin is going to give me freedom from loneliness. That'll, that'll be it. Or poverty. Experiencing lasting pleasure. None of those things are going to count. And as we seek the freedom sin promises, we only become more enslaved to it. Have you experienced that? All sin represents slavery. And Jesus comes and he's telling them about how deeply enslaved they are, not to foreign countries and And it's not talking about their religion. It's talking about something in their heart. What is ruling their heart. In verse 35, he just talks about what an insecure life that produces. He says in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Meaning that the slave of sin may have temporary access to some of God's blessings. We would call it common grace. And and while they can provide some temporary happiness, they can't save from sin. Common grace won't save you from sin. The the temporary happiness of the world might seem salvational, but it's only temporal. It's not eternal. The only blessed assurance comes from not being a slave to sin anymore. It's, It's how grace transfers us, translates us, transforms us from a slave into a son into a daughter. The slave doesn't remain. Listen, if you're an unbeliever today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right now you're as close to heaven as you may ever be. You're experiencing some common grace from the Lord. But if you died right now, this would be as close to heaven as you'll ever get. It only gets worse from here. If you're a Christian... 
you're as close to hell as you'll ever be living in this fallen world. And it only gets better from there. Verse 36, he finishes by saying, so the sun, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. <laughs> Amen. You're free indeed. And there's only one way to be free. Believe in the Son, follow the Son, know the truth, abide in His Word. I think this is just, just a missional thing for us. People, people, I think they fight so much about freedom because it's mainly related to social justice, I think, in the minds of unbelievers. Let's desire true social justice. Let's don't poo-poo that. But the world's ideas of social justice will never save anyone from their sin. We may be seeking to rescue people from many things, but if we're not fundamentally preaching the gospel to their imprisoned hearts, longed in my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. What was that hymn, Eric, we talked about? Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Behold, the dungeon just flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and went forth from thee. Parents, we've got to be bringing the gospel to the hearts of our children. We've got to be talking to uh, somebody who's, who's involved with, maybe they have same-sex attraction. They're, they're a part of the LGBTQ movement. They're uh, just a, an avowed homosexual. They're a Republican or a Democrat. They're <laughs> just anything you want that they're finding their identity in they're, and getting their authority from. And Listen, let's, let's meet them where they are. Let's have compassion for where they're broken. But what they most need is the gospel. The gospel is the only thing, it's, it's the only key that opens the prison door. We've got to be true to it. We can't compromise it in the name of, of being social justice warriors. Oh, the freedom people need is at the heart from salvation. So the last two points are pretty short. The second point is we need to find our identity in Christ and submit to his authority. And that's verses 37 through 47. Jesus just digs deeper to help them see the problems of, the, of having their identity and their authority in someone else than Christ. You could put it this way, a wrong identity plus a wrong authority results in sinful activity. When I was driving here today, I thought, oh, I wish I would have added a wrong identity creates idolatry. And when you combine that with a wrong authority, it's just sinful activity. God wants us to find our identity in Christ and his word. Identity, I love Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, so sweet. She says, identity is not first who I am, it's whose I am. I'm owned, I've been bought with a price. And so Jesus says, I know you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. They're appealing to Abraham. That's our identity. Our, our ethnicity is our identity. Our religious background is our identity. And that's our authority. They might have had Abraham's ethnicity, but they didn't have Abraham's faith, did they? And that's, what, and that's why they're wanting to rise up to kill Jesus. He says, I speak of what I've seen and heard from my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. Who is your authoritative voice? This is huge for, for us, guys. 
Is the word of God your authoritative voice or are your feelings your authoritative voice? It's so often our feelings, isn't it? It's so often our feelings. And, and we are so ruled by them instead of the Lord's word shaping our thoughts and our thoughts shaping our feelings and all of that leading into living a life pleasing to him. Jesus said, my authority is God my Father, and I'm doing and, what he, and saying what he's shown me and tells me. You're doing the things you've heard from your father. You know where he's going. It's not Abraham. He's planting the seed. They have another father. And then they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me? A man who has told you the truth, that is not what Abraham did. Abraham believed in the promised Messiah by faith. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son in obedience to God. And here were these people wanting to kill the son of God. That's not what Abraham would do. You're enslaved to your sin. You're enslaved to the lies the people were arguing for freedom, being found in children of Abraham. And you guys, they have God standing right in front of them, and they're wanting to kill him. Now, do you identify with that? Picking up stones. I would argue that every time I sin, I'm picking up a stone. Because I'm going to do it my way. And Jesus, you're bothering me. And I need to put you out. Because you're getting in the way of my freedom. I don't know if you've seen your sin that gross and ugly. But isn't that what sin is? I'll never forget seeing this skit. And... And, and it was, a person was, was, was playing the part of Jesus. And there was this other person. They were distracted by everything. It was, a, it was in youth ministry. And so it was kind of on a high school campus. And go to the locker. And there was Jesus. And he was just offering his word to him. And that, yeah, just, no, no, Jesus, I'm too busy. I'll, I'll get with you later. And, and then they go to football practice. Or then they go to the library. And then they'd flirt with Sally or Johnny, depending on boy or girl, and, 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 and they finally, at some point, and Jesus is at every point offering them his love, every point offering them his love, and finally, they just get fed up, and they take his hand, and they put it up like this, and they, and they take their hand, and they just start pounding his hands into the cross, because you're getting in my way. Freedom is not you. What's amazing is that Jesus stayed on the cross to pay for that sin too. What a savior. What a savior. You're doing the works your father did. Your father's not Abraham. So now Jesus is questioning their paternity and they hit back hard. There's a word, I'm not going to say it, but adults, you know what that word is. We were not born of sexual immorality, Jesus i.e., you were. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I didn't come from my own accord. He sent me. And, And Jesus is essentially saying, not only is Abraham not your father, God is not your father either. Why? Because I'm not your savior. 
Please know the Bible does not teach the universal fatherhood of Jesus, of God. I just hear that a lot from Christians that, or from, from unbelievers. Well, God's everybody's father. No, he's not. Sin orphaned us at the fall. We, knew, we don't have God as our father. You have to become a child of God, born again by the spirit of God receiving the forgiveness of God, being adopted as a child by his grace. Those are the children of God. To the unbeliever, God is judge, holy and righteous, offers an amazing salvation, but he's not your father unless you have trusted in Christ Jesus. Just a few correctives I think we need to be alert to. Why don't you understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer, and he was a liar from the beginning. He doesn't stand in truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. First, Jesus says you're slaves to sin, and now he says your father's the devil, which is just, that's in Ephesians 2. We're dead in sin and transgression. And we're, we're blown about like a weather vane on a, on, a, on a West Texas barn. And it just goes whichever way the wind blows. Not the way God is, is moving. Whatever way the world says to go. And it's under the bondage of the devil. It's just they go hand in glove. This is for everybody, especially for young people. Did you know you speak a foreign language? When you lie, you are speaking the language of Satan. That's what a lie is. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. And that was his intent. Let me kill the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. Let me kill the relationship between Adam and Eve. Let me bring in physical and spiritual death. And oh, wouldn't it be great? If I could kill God himself. He's a murderer from the beginning. And now you see what's driving them. I tell you the truth. You do not believe me. No, none of you can convict me of sin. I tell you the truth. And you won't believe me. Whoever hears me. Whoever is of God is the one that hears me. And the reason you don't hear me. Is that you are not of God. And he closes it with a bang. Only a great God can provide a great freedom. The Jews challenge him. They go back to his heritage again. You're a half-breed. You're a Samaritan. You have a demon. And Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. And truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Do you, do you see what he's doing? Can I come, I'm just going to come off stage for a minute. Marcus, can I come down to you? I'm going to play Jesus in this role. You're going to play the Jews who are enslaved to sin. Their father is the devil. <laughs> so... How, how would you react if you've just been, you've just been called demon-possessed? 
Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Don't you want to? And Jesus says, he who follows me will never taste death. I want to be more like him, guys. I don't want to run away from that. I don't want to run away because the world hates us. I don't want to run away because they, they want their truth and they don't agree with my truth. I, I want to stay true and say again, maybe I'll say it more slowly this time, whoever follows me will not taste death. Eric, you want to bring the, the team back up? Jesus, the crescendo of it all. You know, there are seven I am statements that are followed by predicates in, in John. So we've seen a couple of them. I'm the bread of life and I'm the light of the world. Um, there are also just seven I am statements that have no predicate afterwards. And that is as blatant as Jesus could be to say, I, I'm not just a deliverer. I, I'm not just a forgiver. I am the eternally existent God, fully capable of forgiving and saving you and giving you a freedom that will only get better for eternity. And they pick up stones to want to kill him. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just so amazing. Is your idea of God, he is the I am. No, no predicate needed. He expresses himself in wonderful ways as the I am. But he is the eternally existent God. He is a great God. And he'll give you great freedom. If you will follow him and abide in his word. Could you stand?